0: Welcome to the Heroes of Gaming podcast. I'm your host, Vladimir, and I'm so honored to welcome you to our season finale of season two. We've got a great guest here for you today, and we had a little bit of an audio issue uh, when we recorded it a while ago. So I am going to give you that brand new intro right now. This week, we have a legendary voiceover artist who breathes charismatic influence into every life of every character he plays, making all of them unforgettable, contributing his skill to over 70 titles including Forsaken 64, Spy Fiction, Half-Life, Twisted Metal 4, and Dota 2. But amongst all these accomplished games, his iconic voice hangs its hat in the Hall of Fame of original video game tough guys. Before there ever was a Master Chief from Halo or Gordon Freeman from Half-Life, there was an ultimate badass, and his name was Duke Nukem. Sure, all of us are fans of BJ from Wolfenstein, and we all love that nameless guy from Doom, but before Duke, uh, there never really was a voice to go with the face of someone who really knew how to kick some alien tail. So, the Heroes of Gaming team is honored to hail to the king of all voiceover work. John St. John, thank you for being here.
1: Hail to the king, baby. <laughs>
0: oh, that's amazing.
1: <laughs> it's my pleasure. What a great intro. My God, I've been introduced many times, but never so eloquently oh, as you, you just did. That was, wow, I feel honored. Thank you.
0: That's very kind. That's very kind. Thank you. And, uh, you know, it's high praise coming from you, so that's hmm. that means a lot. You know, John, I, I was hoping we could just kind of jump in here uh, to, you know, your, your history. We we love to really start kind of from the beginning. And I read somewhere that um, you started DJing at fourteen years old from doing George Carlin impressions. Is that is that true?
1: Basically, yeah that that's that, that's exactly how it happened. Uh, back in nineteen seventy five, uh, George Carlin's album FM and AM came out, and I like to imitate the you know his DJ characters. Uh, and the kids in school all said, "God, you sound like you should be on the radio. You sound like a DJ." And I went down to a local AM radio station and applied for work. And by golly, I was hired on the spot. That wow. was pretty cool.
0: Yeah, on the spot. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. And so, what was that? Uh, Fourteen. What was that? What was that experience like? Are you going to school and then doing the radio afterwards? Or yeah,
1: I I ran it by my parents, and and my my parents were both very cool at the time, saying. You know what? If you can keep your grades up, then we know how we can do this. Um, your father will drive you to work after dinner each evening because we'd have dinner like 530, quarter to six. And I was on the air at seven o'clock. Seven to midnight was the shift that I was on. And so my dad would drive me to the radio station. I'd get there about quarter to seven, pull all my records that I was going to play for the first hour of my show, um, do my radio show, sign this. The, it was the AM station daytimer is what they called it. So we'd sign it off at midnight every night. And uh, my oldest brother, who had just graduated from high school, uh, would pick me up at work just after midnight every night when I'd turn off the transmitter and sign the station off for the night. And um, I kept my grades up, which was fortunate, because after two or three weekend air shifts, Saturday and Sundays, uh, they hired me to go on full-time Monday through Friday and, and and it became a full-time job. So at 14, I was making more money than all the kids in school. And wow. all the kids in school knew who I was because they'd call and request songs. And because they were my friends, I'd play them. So <laughs> yeah, you know, when right. you have a friend who's in radio and you can call him and go, hey, can you play this? And he sneaks a record on for you. You know That happened a lot. Um, so I was, uh, was well-known in school. I, I went from being a band camp nerd kind of kid. I was a trombone player to being somebody who... Ah, uh, the kids all thought was pretty cool, and then my family just two years later we moved uh, from North Carolina up to Virginia, and I was afraid that would be the end of my radio career. But in fact, it actually blossomed from there. I did uh, you know weekend shifts and uh, at a few local radio stations in the area of Norfolk, Virginia, and um, <clears throat> it was my dream to be on this radio station called WGH, which was uh, an AM station, and that stood for World's Greatest Harbor. Like like WLS in Chicago. I don't know if you're familiar with that station. Yeah. World's largest store. They were mm-hmm. in the Sears building at the time. So oftentimes these three call letter stations, it meant something. Uh, and WGH was a station I listened to when I was a kid down in North Carolina wishing, gosh, one day I wish I could be on that station. Wow. It was a a a, a a a full-time AM station of 5,000 watts. So it carried up and down the coast pretty well. And And by golly, just after... Two to three years in that market, living in Norfolk and Virginia Beach, Virginia, um, I got hired to do afternoons at that radio station. I thought that was my dream job. And once I had that job, I started thinking, well, I should dream bigger. I want to end up someday back in Los Angeles where I'm originally from as a child, uh, as a young child, and uh, and get on the radio there because that's where the big timers go. And eventually I did. I ended up, uh, you know, being a DJ in Los Angeles for several years. And then uh, corporate America took over radio and it just uh, kind of went to hell. It was a great industry at one time. And, and for my acting and voiceover career, uh, who could ask for anything more? I was so lucky to get all that on-the-job training over, you know, the course of 40 some odd years.
0: Right, on-the-job training. So when you're, when you're also uh bouncing from one place to another, I mean, is there kind of a nervousness when you're ap- applying or do people come and they pluck you from another radio station?
1: Oh, <laughs> that was the interesting thing about my radio career. And, and today I'm kind of proud of it, though. At the time, I was rather foolish. As a young man, I liked blue humor. And I thought I could do jokes on the radio that adults would get, that kids would not understand, <laughs> and the adults would think I was really cool. So here I am at, at you know, 18, 19 years old uh, doing things like uh, playing Come Together by the Beatles, right? And I come out of the record, I go, FM 99 and the Beatles with Come Together. It's a great trick if you can do it. Uh, coming up next, Peter Frampton from Frampton Comes Alive. You know, I do a break like that, which you get it, you laughed, you knew exactly what I meant, but kids yeah. wouldn't understand. But this was in the Bible Belt. Uh, Virginia. <laughs> oh wow. So I, I was fired the first time I was fired for blue humor on the air. Mm. I think I might have cried. I was so sad that I had done something so dumb. And then all my radio friends uh, who were adults who were in their 30s and some in their 40s at the time uh, supported me and said, God, that was funny, man. They have no sense of humor at all for firing you for that. Keep on doing what you're doing because nobody else is doing that. This is before Howard Stern. This is 1978, 79, 1980, right? Mm. And Howard Stern was on the radio somewhere, but he was not a thing.
0: Right. right? He wasn't the big shack jack we know today. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I lost about a dozen radio jobs for Blue Humor. Um, I, I was a good DJ and my voice was great. Everybody loved the way I sound. It was my content when I'd make a blue humor joke. Like on an adult contemporary station, you know, that plays like you know, soft music, Air Supply, Barbara Streisand, Barry Manilow, right? I play a song by this guy, uh, Livingston Taylor. He's James Taylor's little brother. And it's a song called I'll Come Running. And I use the same line on that one. <laughs> There's a good trick if you can do it. <laughs> and, and Instantly fired. Wow. I, I played uh, on an album rock station in Norfolk, Virginia, FM 99. I actually played an album side um uh, Foreigner's Hot Blooded one Friday night from the last hour of my show. I'd play half an album, right? I I played the Hot Blooded and I outroed the thing by saying, "There's a Foreigner with Hot Blooded, our album tonight. Foreigner, huh? <laughs> I'd be lucky to get two in her tomorrow night. We're gonna play something from Supertramp for you, <laughs> right? And I just brushed by it like, okay, that there was the punchline. If you're yeah. an adult, you got it, right? Uh, the next day I'm called to come in and get my license and my last check and yeah once again, I'm fired wow. and that was kind of my thing when I was young because I had adults encouraging me <laughs> to yeah. keep doing these things they found funny and creative on the radio and bold uh, too
0: I mean it's pretty bold yeah. in that yeah in that era
1: but management didn't like it and then finally I grew up when I got a really good high paying radio job doing mornings in a major market. Um, that's when I finally decided. You know, I can't risk. I, I I had gotten married and had a child. It's like, yeah, don't don't do that stuff anymore. It, it might have been fun and entertaining for a while, but you're a grown up now. Act like it.
0: And so you're doing these uh, these DJ uh, things, and you've got this grown up job. Is Starwinder Red, uh, Big Red Racing, are those like those first things that kind of start leaking into your universe? How how did those happen?
1: The way uh, my video game voice acting career began was uh, just coincidence that Lonnie Manella, a uh, casting director, happens to live in San Diego where I am. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was the production director at a radio station here in San Diego back in. The early 90s uh, came out here in 1991, actually, from mm. Philadelphia. And um, Lonnie Manella is a voice actor as well, very talented voice actor. And she came into my studio one day uh, as uh, the voice for an auto dealer, as I recall. And I, I was producing and recording and producing the commercial for the client. So she comes in and we're setting up her microphone and she starts launching off into these wacky different voices. And I went, wow, <laughs> you're really good. She goes, well, thank you very much. And so I put on my headphones and got up to my microphone and started doing a whole bunch of voices. And she went, wow, you've got really good range. Have you considered acting in video games? And I'm like, acting in video games? What What are you talking about? There's not even voiceover in video games. Right. She said, well, there's about to be. And there's this game called Duke Nukem I'd like you to audition for. And I laughed. You know, and the first time you hear Duke Nukem, I think everybody laughs, laughs the first time. Yeah. I went, yeah, yeah, I'll audition for anything. So she had me audition for that, and and the Big Red Racing, and uh, what was that terrible game on Sega Saturn for a Blue Stinger, and and a whole bunch of other games, and boom, I just booked them all right wow. away. And and once the Duke Nukem character became a thing, and and keep in mind, up until the year two thousand, maybe two thousand one, I didn't even know anybody played Duke Nukem. I didn't know it was a thing. I mean, I would play it online with my brother who was in Virginia. We'd hook up the old modem and do Duke matches just because it was a fun thing to play. And I was on it and we thought, well, how cool. I'm on a video game. Uh, But I didn't know it was anything until I got my first convention invite. It was in Killeen, Texas, outside of uh, Fort Hood. Hmm. And I went to this convention and I was mobbed (laughs) by video gamers and and young army guys. And I'm like, how do you guys even know who I am? They all went Duke Nukem, man. You're freaking Duke Nukem. Oh, I'm sorry for that. No, it's all good. It's all good. (laughs) And and I was was blown away by the fact that these people knew who I was. They had looked me up on the internet. And I'm like, do I even have a presence? I had a Wikipedia page and I didn't even know it. Right. And uh, that's when I first discovered that, oh, my God, this uh, video game voice acting thing is a thing. And since then, I've done uh, somewhere between two and three hundred games in
0: total. just
1: most most of those are, of course, you know, additional lines, you know, additional characters. Right. Um, But there are the ones like Duke Nukem where I'm the lead and, and those kind of cemented my place in. In video game history, I guess that's oh, why you, absolutely. you call me legendary. It's because I'm so old, and I was one of the first. I think I was like the first recognizable uh, video game voice, basically, because Duke Nukem had full lines, mm-hmm. and and not really cutscenes so much back then, but full one-liners. And most other video games at the time were you know single word expressions. And I, I think that's kind of what cemented my place in history.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, you were first, but you were also best. I mean, that's, that's what set, (laughs) it's what set the tone. You know, everybody else is like some version of Duke Nukem is in all these, you know, people that came after. So I think, uh, Mm-hmm. I think you just really you set the bar so high. Uh, so.
1: Well, I got really lucky too. I mean, Duke Nukem was a great character who all of his lines were ripped off from you know Bruce Campbell and Rowdy Roddy Piper and and different films and you know. But the the gamers embraced that. They didn't look like it. Look at it as though oh he's just ripping off stuff. They thought it was funny. Yeah. Oh, all his lines are ripped off from movies. Oh, this is good. And the and the writers, uh, the creators of the game, actually ran with that and said yeah, let's. Let's do that. Let's rip off everything and make it just outrageous.
0: If we could rewind a little bit to this kind of first foray as, you know, kind of a famous uh, identity. um, Were you expecting that type of reaction from this game or were you just like, oh, no, No, I was
1: completely right out of left field. I had no idea that anybody even knew what it was until that first invite. And then, and then right after that, uh, Brendan Becker, who's, uh, uh, quite a guy. I don't know if you're familiar with Brendan. He started Magfest in Washington, DC years ago, one of the, one of the big cons in the country. Yeah. And, uh, he just took a shot on Facebook, reaching out to me to see if I would be interested in doing their convention. And, and, and that was the second time I was ever contacted. And the reception I got there was unbelievable. I mean, um, Thrust into what felt like superstardom, right you know at a convention where there's twenty thousand people and eighteen thousand of them want to hang out with you, and when they found out that I like to drink, oh God
0: <laughs> <laughs> was it. I'm
1: everybody's drinking buddy, and You're they right. crowned me the king of magfest and and other conventions, same kind of thing the ones that I uh, was coming back to year after year um uh, they really embraced me for. Um, Not just the character, but for my personality, because I would hang out with the fans. I I don't know about all the other voice actors out there, but I truly appreciate and and am so grateful for having fans. And they love me unconditionally, so I kind of unconditionally love them back. And and I really enjoy it. I I, I love having fans. It's It's a beautiful thing.
0: I was wondering, you have been kind of in the spotlight you know, throughout your life, even when you were younger. I mean, you're on the radio, yeah. you're Mr. Popular, you're kind of the cool kid on campus. So, but that level of of magnitude, you know, was it intimidating? Did, were you able to kind of pivot?
1: It was kind of two different worlds, really, because uh, in my radio career, um, I'm always behind a microphone. Nobody knows what I look like. Uh, I can go out shopping and stuff. And nobody knew who I was um, in my personal life. Uh, and then when I did conventions, that, that was completely different. Instead of being that introvert who was always at home, you know, maybe playing video games or or, or recording stuff, playing music. I'm a musician, so I like to record. Um, I, I was getting out and actually having to meet people and face to face, lots of people, you know, wow. at, at, at these events. And at first, the first two times, it was a little strange but then i embraced it and went hell i got fans this is awesome <laughs> yeah. and and then i started loving it and now it just seems like that well that's what my life is i like it
0: the studios how are they reacting to that are they just like oh hey don't hang out too much you know or like whatever are they do they ever try to put like uh, guardrails on you or the more
1: i'm out there pressing the flesh you you just nailed it i'm promoting the game and i'm and, and if i'm making fans love me and and they know me because of these characters Obviously, that's only going to help the uh, game developers who hire me, and, and there have been benefits to to being a Duke Nukem that go beyond, you know, the fanship. Um, for instance, uh, the people at Valve up in Seattle, right. when I used to record stuff for them, um, they didn't have me record from a studio in San Diego. They would fly me to Seattle to record. Why? Because uh, the developers, and coders, and testers, and all those art artists up there at uh, in Seattle grew up playing Duke Nukem. Right. And so they're fanboys, basically, who wanted to drink with me. Yeah. So I'd go up there and, and record for them and, and meet with them, and then we'd go out and drink and do karaoke and have fun. And and so that's, I, I guess, how I parlayed Duke into even more work, you know, because for a while there, for a few years, I was pigeonholed as the Duke Nukem guy, and everybody assumed this is the only voice I do, Duke Nukem. You know, until they realized, oh my God, he's big the cat. What? <laughs> right, right. That changed things, and and then I started getting more jobs because uh, some of these casting directors would actually listen to my demo reels and and hear what I could do instead of assuming I only talk like
0: this. I was reading that it was some sort of a hybrid of a of a Clint Eastwood like a you know a Dirty Harry type.
1: That's exactly right. Uh, George Broussard, one of the creators uh, of Duke Nukem, uh, when he was on the phone during the audition process, um, we we asked him, Lonnie and I asked him on the phone, um, how do you imagine this this badass uh, character? What's his attitude? What's he like? And he goes, kind of kind of Charles Bronson like. And I don't know if you remember the mechanic or any of the films of course, Charles, Br-
0: wish. of course. But yeah, yeah
1: the, Charles Bronson always sounded kind of like this to me. Oh, you want Charles Bronson? And immediately he and Lonnie both went, "No, guess not." No, no, <laughs> yeah, the attitude, right. but that's not the voice. Mm-hmm. And Lonnie said, "Well, think of Dirty Harry then," and and his famous line, "And went, do you feel lucky?" Will do you punk? And, and Broussard said, that's the attitude and the graveliness of your voice is good, but, but Duke Nukem's on steroids. So think of him as a, a heftier. So I just dropped it like an octave. I went, do you feel lucky? Will do you punk? And he went, that's it. And, that's and it. just like that, we landed on the Duke Nukem voice. Wow. We That's all great. kind of heard it at the same time. Lonnie and George and I all kind of went, "Oh yeah." Okay, I'm looking at the artwork at this time, and I'm going, "Oh yeah, I can, I can see that voice coming out of that guy."
0: You mentioned a little bit about you know the studios actually listening to your demo demo reel and mm-hmm. and really showcasing your variety while you're doing these Duke Nukem games, you know, and all their sequels, Duke Nukem '64, Nuclear Winter, Life's a Beach, uh, Time to uh, Time to kill uh, Manhattan just,
1: Project and all that yeah.
0: stuff. You're mm-hmm. you're doing uh, NFL Extreme Forsaken Balls of Steel. Uh, are they all wanting like a little Duke flavor in their characters, or are they are they saying you know, or are you pushing for like, hey, I can do other things, man. Like, let me try.
1: Oh yeah, I definitely was trying to break free of of that pigeonhole. Uh, you know, Duke Nukem. Uh, that's the only voice I do mode that most of them seem to be in. And, uh, yeah, once they'd hear my demo reel and then go, really, can you do that live right now? (laughs) And I do the voice and they go, oh, okay, great. Um, we thought maybe you had pitched up the tape or something. (laughs) No, 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 no. That's not a demo reel. You can't do that. If you can't perform it live, don't put it on your reel.
0: Oh, that's a good. That's a good tip. That's a very exactly. good tip. What is your What is your technique? What's your process?
1: You know, m- most uh, professional recording studios always have a uh, snack room area, right? Right, right. And there is always a little basket with green apples. <laughs> Are you familiar with green apples? Yes, of course. Yeah, one good bite of a green apple, and your your mouth uh, uh, saliva content is just right. It's not too wet. It's not too dry. And you're not spitting on the microphone. So, like, why do these symmetric microphones always rust? <laughs> Say it. Don't spray it. I'm I'm just kidding. But the point is, there's always green apples to, you know. to Yeah, those Granny but,
0: Smith, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And there are techniques for different jobs. Anytime I have a gig where they want the movie trailer voice or a really low gravelly voice or a Sam Elliott kind of, you know, Western drawl, uh, the night before. I go out and I sing karaoke really hard. Wow. And when I get up in the morning, my voice is way up. I can't even (laughs) imitate it right now. Really low and really gravelly. And I'm set. My voice is, and I won't eat or drink anything until the session is over. You know, so the ones that are late in the day, those kill me, man, because I get so hungry. (laughs) But (laughs) I let my throat dry out after stretching my vocal cords by singing. So my voice drops really low and there's a lot of that resonant. Yeah, uh, You know, uh, that rumbliness you can feel from somebody with a huge voice standing next to you. You ever been next to a guy like that? Oh, yeah. Who talks and you can feel it vibrating. My voice gets like that in the morning after I've been singing karaoke. So I know how to train it for that. If I need a thinner, older voice like this, it's easy to just turn it on, you know. But the low graveliness, I have to tweak my vocal cords to get there.
0: Wow. That's like a real, that's a real strain to try to Mm -hmm. do that.
1: And as soon as I have a drink or something after the session, my voice is right back to this again.
0: Oh, wow. That's fantastic. You got the DNA for it.
1: I think that might work for most people. I, I think more, more, more people doing voiceover. If you want to do a low, gravelly voice, if you're a man, go out and sing really hard, whether you can sing or not. Just stress your vocal cords, and the next morning,
0: see what you sound like. So playing, playing uh, Duke Nukem for uh, so many years, and uh, I think the most recent one is probably uh, Bullet Storm, a DLC yeah. for Bullet Storm. Which mm-hmm. was awesome, uh, by the way. Oh, um, thanks. Yeah, it's totally awesome. Playing
1: Duke Nukem Drunk was fun. <laughs> I enjoyed that.
0: So you're never getting tired of of Duke? Are you? Are you always like, say, if someone says, "Hey, we want Duke in this." You're like, "Yep, no problem." I'm. I'm there.
1: Oh, I'm always eager. It, it's uh, fortunate for me that there is an app called Cameo, and I get to do the Duke Nukem voice daily. Uh, I get orders constantly, and you know what? That now that I'm thinking of it. That says a lot about Duke Nukem, the popularity of the character. The last time I recorded anything was Bulletstorm, full clip edition. And I'm, if I'm not mistaken, that was a decade ago now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. God, yeah. that was 10 years. And yet I'm still booked for conventions all the time. And I sell cameo recordings daily. Wow. Um, so there's there, there's a lot of love for that character. And I'm very lucky for a character I've not recorded professionally for, for many years that I'm still somewhat in demand. And that's, that's pretty cool. I'm very lucky. And I know it. Thank you universe.
0: (laughs) Well, it's also a Testament to your attitude towards the fans. I think, you know, you're so approachable. You're so uh, generous with your time and, and your love for the character and the fans, I think, uh, you know, shines through. So it's, uh,
1: well, let's not forget fans like to buy me shots. So I'm going to be nice to them. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. No matter what,
0: is there a, uh, a Duke Nukem, or even a, a a gaming story, being a part of another game, um, that you could share with us—that's maybe that affected you on on more of an emotional level, that like impacted you.
1: Uh, only one that I can think of, and it's the game called This Is the Police. Mm-hmm. Uh, I played Jack Boyd, a detective, and and when I first recorded this, this was oh I don't know six seven eight years ago maybe, and Jack Boyd is talking about I'm gonna retire. Tomorrow's my 60th birthday. And I thought, wow, I hope I sound like a 60-year-old. I, I hope I'm playing this right. I, I, uh. And then uh, last month I turned 61, wow. by the way. <laughs> and I thought, wow, I was making fun of the character like, ah, you old fart, you old geezer, back when I was recording it. And yet now I am that guy. Wow. so that was a little, a little cathartic it was yeah. a little strange for me yeah. uh, to, to play a character that was much older than I was at that well not much but you know considerably older than I was at the time I couldn't imagine being anywhere near a senior citizen and now yeah. I are one <laughs>
0: <laughs> well you got a, such a young spirit so I mean there's, there's Thank you. that you know and yeah, I still uh, feel
1: like I'm 25
0: yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. as you're um, continuing through your career taking on uh these different roles one of the other iconic uh, roles uh, is in the game Artifact um, from this really whirlwind game called Dota. That's where it, it started from. And that it has got a crazy fan base as well. That's a very dedicated fan. Are we
1: talking about Axe? <laughs> axe is Axe.
0: That's amazing. Yes, Axe, uh, Bloodseeker, Enigma. What are, What is the uh, inspiration?
1: The first one that comes to mind is uh, Admiral Kunka. He oh, is yeah. in Dota 2, right? Yeah. Or Guild Wars 2. Uh-oh. Which, Yeah, <laughs> can't remember. But but Kunkka, I bring him up because he was also the first King Varian Wren in World of Warcraft. Uh, that voice I also used in, oh, two or three different games. What it is is my bad Patrick Stewart impression. Oh. So this is Admiral Kunkka. I think <laughs> not a call. <laughs> Mr. LaForge, put on your visor. Of course, uh, Patrick Stewart doesn't sound like he used to. In Star Trek The Next Generation, he had this strong voice. If you hear Patrick Stewart today, he sounds like this, doesn't he? Really. Wow. I mean, there's a guy who's getting fucking old. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I would use my bad impression of Patrick Stewart for many voices, including Kunkka. Bloodseeker, that uh, I was asked to audition for a, a character voice who was of Hispanic um, origin. And I live in San Diego, so I hear Hispanic people who talk like this quite often. Mm. And I go, oh, bloodseeker, I do it for the Flayed Twins. And they went, oh, that sounds authentic enough. Okay. Yeah. So uh, the inspiration behind the voices is generally what the what the director imagines. And they'll tell me, here's what we're thinking for this character. Make him sound like this, in this age range, and gravelly or smooth voice, young or old. Those are all, you know, techniques that we use in our vocal cords to make them, you know, sound different ages. And uh, really, the direction I've received over the years has been so good. I've been very fortunate to work with very good uh, directors in the business.
0: Do you work with the same director often or is it always kind of changing per project
1: it all depends on which project i'm doing uh for like guild wars uh i worked for for a company called blind light who did the recording for them and uh, philip bach was the director i worked with most often and uh, just an excellent director the directors are so professional and so nice even if you get like you uh, read a bad line they go mm, maybe we could try that differently Instead of no, no, that's not it. Yeah, yeah like, <laughs> you know, that's or
0: yeah,
1: yeah uh, Um, I see you transposed these words. Was that uh, for any particular? Reason? No, I just read it wrong. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know? and, and they're so polite, and nice about it. Um, I've also had the pleasure of working with some um voice voice actors who moved to directing. Uh, Todd Habercorn, who's well known in the uh, anime world uh has directed me for a netflix series a while back that uh it was very enjoyable working with somebody who's my friend who also is a very kind and 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 nice director and then tom whalen who used to do all the pokemon stuff i worked on an animated feature film with him this past year that uh hopefully will be seen at the end of this year and um just a pleasure to work with my friends who are voice actors who who know exactly how to get you to where the character needs to be. You mm-hmm. know, they, they don't expect me to read the entire script and know the story. When I come into a session, they're going to say, here's the scenario. Here's what's going on in this scene. And your character is reacting because of this. Here's the line leading into it. And they'll read the character who's before me and then I'll react to it. And, and that kind of direction is so helpful. And and uh, it brings my performance to its peak. I think
0: that's really great too, because they kind of cut through all the extra stuff and they get right to the meat of what you need to do. It's yeah, and
1: terrific. when it's a friend who's directing you, you're comfortable right off the bat. There's no nervousness or or worrying about what well, what's this director going to think of me. So that's I've been very lucky to have that experience.
0: And do you ever bring kind of your own? ideas to the table or is it all Is it all kind of on the page before you get there
1: there are some directors who like me to ad lib especially when i'm doing duke newcomb stuff they go dude if you think it's something funny but for the most part you know they want they want you to they don't want you to change the content in any way i can change the wording sometimes and i can contract things instead of saying you are violating i'll say you're violating Blah, 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 that kind of thing. Right. Uh, they don't care about contractions and that kind of thing generally, unless it's a character like that's robotic, for instance, and a, a robot would never contract words. You are going to be assimilated, you know, right. those
0: robot kind of ways. So, you know, it all depends on what 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 project you're doing. And for people getting into the voiceover industry, uh, impressionists, online uh, DJs looking to make that big leap, they want to do video games. Do you have any advice for those folks?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's about networking more than anything. Uh, Mm -hmm. You can be the most talented person in the world and never get a job. So you have to be willing to press the flesh go to meetings, parties, uh, um, take promo classes, that kind of thing, just to meet the right people. You may not need training at all, but by going and getting training anyway in areas where you feel uh, you might be weak, you're going to meet other people in the industry who are going to be connected to other people in the industry. And it's just, you know, it's a a snowball effect. You know, you you have to network or you're never going to get the jobs you want. And you have to have good representation. And and getting good representation, getting a real agent, you're only going to get that by knowing somebody who has that agent. That's kind of how it works.
0: Who would you say is uh, one of your maybe mentors or someone that influenced you?
1: For me, uh, a lot of it was radio influence. So uh, not just George Carlin, but Gary Owens who was a famous DJ in Los Angeles when I was a child. And he was on the TV show Laugh-In. Have you ever heard of Laugh-In? Yes, of course. It's Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In. And Gary Owens would talk like this with his hand on his ear. And uh, he and I became friends in the years before he died. I actually met one of my heroes, one of my mentors, and we became friends. Um, There are actors today who uh, inspire me constantly. Billy West, uh, who is, uh, uh, well, he's... uh, Ren and Stimpy, and he's uh, all the voices in Futurama, and just a super nice guy. We he he and I have fun every time we're together. We laugh our heads off, and he's just so talented and so down to earth. Um, and 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 when Fry's voice starts coming out of that guy, I just <laughs> freak out every time. And then Zoidberg, and you know, I freak out seeing these voices come out of his mouth. Um. Richard Epcar is another person who I I highly admire. He and I both went, when Mark Hamill gave up the Joker voice, uh, he and I, of course, everybody auditioned to be the Joker. Most of us made the mistake of trying to do kind of a Mark Hamill takeoff on the Joker. Richard Epcar did not. And he got the part of the Joker. He's yeah. the Joker today. And just, again, one of those super nice, down-to-earth people you love hanging out with, you know, very grounded. And um, he's an inspiration to me, uh, not just because he's so talented as a, as a voice actor, but he's such a kind, wonderful person, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And and that inspires me more today than talent alone.
0: Could you debunk any kind of myths about your industry, about your career people
1: assume that all voice actors who have any kind of uh presence in the community who are well known for like me for being duke nukem that we're wealthy (laughs) 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 i read on the internet that i'm worth four million (laughs) dollars no no i'm not worth a million (laughs) dollars if you took everything i had all of my assets maybe maybe a million maybe more like seven hundred thousand. right I have no idea. I just know that there's a lot of people think that you're going to get rich doing voiceovers. You're not. Mm. There are very few who are so prolific that they can only do video games, too, by the way. Right. I make my work doing commercials. And and right now, one of my biggest clients is a company called Sleep Outfitters. And I do all of the Sleep Outfitters TV and radio commercials all over the East Coast and and, and the Midwest. And um, I do car dealer ads and I image radio and TV stations and – you know, my, my voice is used on presentations all the time. Live, I have a live presentation for AT&T coming up shortly wow. that I have to record. And it's that work that pays my bills every month, not video games. Ooh. However, if you get good uh, character leads in video games and you start getting booked for conventions, um, there is you get a, a, an appearance fee and they fly you there. So every time I fly, I'm collecting frequent flyer miles for myself So I can always upgrade to first class without paying a dime to fly. So (laughs) how about that for uh, uh, a wonderful and then, you know, and then they pay us to to appear at the conventions and then we get to sell autograph cards as well, you know, for so there's income attached to the video games. Apart from the initial, you know, get paid for the studio uh, time, the recording time, and then for the actual project itself. And and that's changed so much over the years. I think when I recorded Duke Nukem 3D all those years ago, and they used those, by the way, those voice takes in many of the Duke games. So right. I wasn't re-recording games over and over. I think I made $850. Wow. For all of that Duke stuff, way back when, about $850. And then in uh, 2011, Duke Nukem Forever comes along. Uh, and and they gave me a call. And, and the first thing I heard on the phone was this woman saying, is this John St. John? I went, yes. She said, uh, guess what? Hell's frozen over. And I said, what do you mean? She goes, well, I looked at your website. And my old website years ago had uh, credits for all the video games. And, and and at the end of the Duke Nukem section, I put, and perhaps one day if hell ever freezes over, Duke Nukem forever will be made. So she called, she goes, hey, guess what? Hell has frozen over. We're going to make Duke Nukem Forever. And uh, what's it going to take? And I told them what I wanted to be paid, and it was stupid. And they went, okay. Wow. (laughs) So I went from making about 850 bucks for all those games way back when to I named my price for Duke Nukem Forever. And they just paid me and said, okay, that's fine. Mm. I I just hope that now that uh, Embracer Group uh, bought not only 3D Realms but also Gearbox. That there's hope that maybe they will now revisit doing Duke Nukem and and putting him out there. Because I, I think there might be more open minds now than there were a few years back. You know, with the Me Too movement and all, you can't have a misogynistic character such as Duke uh, out there uh, womanizing. However, you can give him a sidekick who uh, is the comedic aspect that brings him into today. And uh, we've already created that character. Uh, by we, I mean me and my artist friend, Laura, from Italy, who does that uh, uh, Vengeance of the King web series. Uh, she's the artist animator who uh, draws Duke Nukem impeccably well. And and she reached out to me a few years back and said, uh, if Duke had a son, what would his name be? And in less than a second, I went, Deuce. <laughs> Number two, Deuce Nukem. What the deuce? Yes, Deuce Nukem. And so we decided that Deuce, and and he's in the web comic series with his dad in Vengeance of the King. You can see it on Facebook and on uh, Twitter and Instagram. Um, he is already a part of Duke's life as, as his illegitimate bastard son, whatever it is. And, and, and he could be the comic relief that keeps Duke grounded. Like, dad, come on, it's 2022. You can't talk like that. You know? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. He he could be that comedic sidekick that brings Duke into modern day and makes him politically correct as it were.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's got that, that Cobra Kai feel too. You know, that, that's exactly, exactly where the guys from that era.
1: And and if it were all CG, of course I'd be the star, but if it were all (laughs) CG, anything could happen. And can you imagine an R rated Duke Nukem CG movie God, that would be so cool! Awesome, and I'm not saying it because I'm the voice. I I would go see that movie. Of course, all at, at of us. My would. age, at my age, I would go <laughs> see a movie like that
0: because it would be so cool. Me and my friends, when we went to see uh, Ready Player One, mm. we saw there is there is a Duke, Duke for Duke, one second, like a cameo. <laughs> just a. And I was like, there he is! You know, it's 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 terrific. It's terrific. Yeah. Even but even just a a, a taste there just made oh, just my just to blood see him rush. on the
1: big screen. Yeah, yeah, I get that, man. I'd love to see Duke in, in a movie. That'd be great.
0: I also wanted to ask you: Do you still do you still play music? Do you do you, uh, you jam out? Do you have a band? Do you do you work with uh, folks?
1: For many years, I was in a cover band called Uncle Boogie. And we played corporate events and the casino circuit in Southern California and Nevada and uh, weddings and all that kind of stuff. Uh, the band, we broke that up a few years back. Uh, we were all getting too busy in our professional lives to keep doing it. Um But, yes, uh love doing it. Uh, now I jam weekly with a group of musicians down in uh, Del Mar, California. And uh, these are guys, including uh, the keyboardist Robert Parker, whom I don't know if you know his name, but if you look him up, you'll see he played with some of the famous uh, musicians back in the day and is super talented. I mean, this guy was like, uh, he had to be a prodigy uh, piano player. I'm a keyboard player as well, but I can never play at the level he does where you can say, um, give me this song in the key of A. And if he's heard the song before, he will play it note for note perfect in that key.
0: Oh, man. He because like a he savant. accompanies
1: vocalists all the time. And I mean, he's just that talented. And and the rest of the guys in the group, there are six of us all together. And, and I feel like I'm the least talented of everybody in the band as a musician, but I sing. Ah, <laughs> so I'm kind of the show off in that band because I get to sing most of the songs. And, uh, they feel like they can't do it without me. And I feel like I can't do it without them. It's kind of a symbiotic relationship we all have as musicians. And, uh, I still record jingles from time to time when I'm asked, uh, can you create a jingle for this project? I'll sit down and pencil something out and get out my keyboards and, and, and orchestrate something. You know, I use a Logic Pro. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's like a, yeah, yeah. a it's like a garage band on steroids, pretty much. <laughs> uh, that's the software I like to use. It's very authentic sounding instrumentation. And, uh, you know, I was a producer for many, many, many years uh, of music as well. Um, back in the day when uh, I know, you know, the name Weird Al Yankovic. Of course. When Weird Al was first coming up, I was already doing what Weird Al started doing. There parody. And was parody songs. Yeah. I was on the Dr. Demento show uh, many times over the years. Um, Because of parody songs that I had recorded. And uh, when Weird Al Yankovic first started doing concerts, he came out and was a guest on my radio show on Cape Cod, just outside of Boston. And uh, I hosted his first concert on Cape Cod. And he and I hit it off and talked about, uh, you know, what we wanted to do musically. And, and he was fortunate enough to have, I was my own producer and musician, right? I had a MIDI setup, which was new back then. People didn't know what MIDI was. And I was orchestrating music for my own parody songs and making them sound fairly authentic to the original music. Weird Al, on the other hand, had Rick Derringer as his producer back in Hollywood. Remember Rock and Roll, Hoochie Coo? Yeah. That Rick Derringer. So his stuff sounded like identical to the originals. Remember, uh, Eat It. Michael Jackson's "Beat It" redone oh, as "Eden" sounded exactly like the original because he had all those tools, you know, at his disposal. So Weird Al took off with it and yeah. really made it a thing. And and it turns out he's just a
0: genius. I I,
1: I don't mean to get so far off tangent here. No
0: no but no, it's great.
1: Yeah. I, I'm a big admirer of Weird Al because his work is so good.
0: And I'm curious, you know, what is on? the docket next for John St. John. Here's what I'm looking forward to in the
1: future is my convention growing larger and larger and larger, much like Jonathan Colton's Joko cruise did. I'm hoping my cruise convention will grow big enough to where I can retire from everything else and just take my week long vacation cruise every year and pay all my bills with it. That's my dream. That's what I hope to do is keep growing my convention to where that's all I have to do.
0: That is great. Great. Where do you prefer everybody goes and sees you and sees your your work and even this cruise? Where do, where do we find this stuff?
1: Yeah, the cruise is the thing. KingConCruise.com okay. is the website. And all the information needed about the cruise is right there. I don't really maintain a website anymore. Uh, I mean, I have one, JohnStJohn.audio, and no H in the first John. Um, but it has always just been a parking spot for... Uh, You know, my work, my body of work, uh, commercials, promos, uh, that kind of stuff. But uh, during the pandemic, uh, my webmaster passed and links were broken and they are still not repaired. But I find that I don't need a website anymore. I think most voice actors will find that you don't need a website. You don't need a parking spot for your demo. If somebody wants to hear your demo, you email an MP3 because your demo shouldn't be running more than a minute to a minute and a half tops anyway. It's a small file, you know, and um, I don't need to maintain a website. So there's really, I mean, you can go there um, and you can put in, you know, you can email me from my website. That's pretty much the only purpose it serves anymore is to look at some of my appearance stuff and and uh, and book me for an appearance and, or a voice work. But uh, it, it doesn't serve any other purpose. So if you want to see what I'm up to, kingconcruise.com.
0: I'm really just super, super grateful of of you hanging out with us and and taking the time and giving us so much great advice and so many great stories.
1: Groovy. Keep watching for the Duppet, by the way. He's going to come back. Are you familiar with the Duppet?
0: No, no, no. What is that?
1: Here's what I, I would like you to do. Go on to TikTok. And look up Duke Nukem's girlfriend. And when you go to the account for Duke Nukem's girlfriend, you'll see my, I have to say, Muppet style of Duke Nukem that has a million one-liners and they're funny as hell. As a matter of fact, for quite a while there, for many weeks after we first introduced him, uh, it was the most used audio on TikTok. Everybody was lip syncing to my Duke Nukem voice because of the Duppet. And that's what we call him. He's the Duke Puppet. Known as the Duppet, and he has a lot of advice and tips for people during the pandemic, and uh, 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 it, uh, and, and just sleazy lines the Duke might say, and a lot of uh, a lot of stuff that was submitted by fans that I had the Duppet say too. Take a look on TikTok. I think he'll be amused by it.
0: Uh, John, St. John. I hope you have just such a wonderful day. Thank you for everything uh, today, and uh, we'll see you soon. Thank you very much. I appreciate it.